Thursday, March 8th at 5.30 p.m. at the Multicultural Service Center in Portland. Resolve to Resist Session 2 is about running for elected positions. Panelists will address what it means to be a candidate, how to get started, and how to bring attention to the needs and issues too often overlooked in our political system. Child care and light refreshments will be provided. Again, that's Resolve to Resist, Session 2, Thursday, March 8th at 5.30 p.m. at the Multicultural Service Center. That's 4610 Southeast Belmont Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage. Do you have questions about KBOO's Kickstarter campaign? What's the Kickstarter, you ask? We are doing this campaign instead of a membership drive. It's an all-or-nothing campaign, which means if we don't raise the full 20000 by March 9th, we have to send the donations back. Go to kboo.fm slash kickstarter to donate. We will be having our next Kickstarter live video chat on Thursday, March 1st at noon. So check us out and get all your questions answered at kboo.fm slash kickstarter. You're tuned to KBOO Portland, and this is The Recovery Zone, a show focused on healing our world. Today's guest is the founder and president of Portlanders for Parking Reform, a grassroots advocacy group that's working to implement progressive parking policies, which go all the way from um, getting us to use more alternative transportation to constructing more affordable housing and even as a way to take action on climate change. The group's philosophy came from that of Donald Shoup, who's the author of the high cost of free parking. He's an urban um, planner, I think, or teacher, actually, down in California. Um, Tony Jordan, I just want to welcome you. Thank so, you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. And um, I guess we'll just start with um, how you got started. What, what made you want to become a... I mean, you're not getting paid for this at all. It's totally volunteer, no, right? No, contrary to popular belief. <laughs> uh, well, I read a, a book, um, I, Don Shoup's book, about... Seven years ago, I found a, a post on a website called Metafilter that was about this book called The High Cost of Free Parking. And I had never thought about uh, parking very much other than I want some when I'm going somewhere. For, In your car? Yeah, for cheap or free. I didn't have a car at the time, but I still drive. And, and I had never just thought about about the, I, as most people, I think, never thought about how does the parking get there? Why it's just is it kind of there? It, yes, it's in, just in the background. And yeah. uh, I saw this post about this professor at UCLA, Don Shoup, who wrote this book, and I thought that's interesting. And I had to get it from an interlibrary loan from Oregon State University, and and I read it. It's like seven hundred pages long, and I was I was just you read all yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was and I was I, it was it was fascinating because I was like, how is there this thing I'd never thought about that is so pervasive and so impactful on on my life that I have not questioned or or considered and uh, so I read this book and 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 shortly thereafter uh, apartments started being built on Division Street controversially and um, I thought hey I read this book I'm an expert um, I'm gonna go <laughs> and tell Planning Commission and City Council what they should do and so I started 
just getting involved in and and reading more about the topic and 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 found other people who knew about it and and we started um, organizing together and so and basically um you're you're uh, the whole shoe piece to thing i mean or shoop uh mm-hmm. i mean you're it's like it has a totally different uh attitude toward parking than than people are basically taking for granted i mean they they they're against parking basically right i mean there's something like well, that going no on. i mean it's not it's exactly against it but um it, it's, they it's, don't want it free anymore. Well, well, it's not even against free parking. It's uh, an idea that we should take into consideration that the problem is, is that, you know, parking is not free. It's just not. I mean, factually, I mean, I suppose if you're parking on a dirt road, uh, you know, a dirt on a dirt patch somewhere, it might be free to park there. But um, parking costs money to construct and it takes a, it has an opportunity cost of land that is used for storing a vehicle rather than for another use. So, um what people consider free parking, someone's paying for it. If I'm not paying, I mean, I'm, I might be paying a fraction of it, but if I don't drive to a grocery store, for example, that parking in the grocery store parking lot is not free. I mean, they're paying taxes on it and they're paying for upkeep and, and the construction and maintenance of that parking. Um, not to mention the uh, that that could be an apartment building or an office building or another grocery store on that parking lot. So so it, it certainly costs something. And, and the Shupista... Uh, philosophy is to to that we should recognize what that costs and make smarter decisions about where we require it and if we require it and 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 try to 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 um, make those costs more transparent to end users. Yeah, like one thing I saw is even like uh, on street parking, there was some little quote I read. It costs around seventeen hundred and fifty dollars just to build that, just one parking spot on street. And uh, four hundred dollars to maintain it annually, uh, yeah. which is like you know. So we are paying for all the 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 spaces all over all our streets. Right. I mean, on, on an average residential street, there's parking on both sides that often takes up the majority of the street. Right. And we you know we went through the street fee and the the condition of Portland streets a couple years ago, and and real and learned as a city somewhat painfully how expensive street construction and maintenance is and the parking strip or the curb zone costs it's it's engineered to the same standard as the middle of the street so i mean that 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 piece of road that you're parking your car on costs the same as the middle of the road and uh and but yet half of that half of the street is usually not used for transportation it's used for storage Um, so i mean it's it's that's tremendously expensive i think that um in chup's book i you know who knows you know how how completely factual this is but someone went and tried to basically just calculate the the total subsidy like the what how much does does the american economy subsidize parking that is that is not paid for like you know um, on street off street and and it, it came up with a number that was about how much medicare costs i mean it's it's a the 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 total value and and cost of of this um resource is tremendous and it's necessary certainly while we still live in a car centric society a car culture right but but how we decide to move forward um is really where we're interested in trying to make smarter decisions right right and so um so basically then instead of being a nimby not in my backyard mm-hmm. i noticed you you were you somebody who goes to like yimby conferences yes. <laughs> yes 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 could you explain that a little bit um the the yimby movement is is a uh, consortium of, of, of or a coalition of people who are interested in in, in topics uh, 
largely, I think right now around housing and, and to some degree, um, environmentalism and, and smarter, you know, what we might think of sustainable cities, but also affordability for housing. So, um, the, the, it's based on a coalition in Seattle, the HALA housing and affordability. I can't, I can't remember actually what the acronym stands for, but, um, where they brought tenants, activists and transportation and, um, various groups together developers and tried to 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 change zoning rules to make them uh more conducive to building more housing at a lower price and that's kind of the what the yimbis are mostly about yeah and part of that lower price is less parking garages with the, that goes with the buildings less parking restrictions absolutely i mean uh, uh i think one of the first things people might not have not thought about is is how much uh, you know they say I, there's a new apartment building going in and there's not enough parking in it they should be required to put in more parking and and uh, yeah you, you know, hear that all the time and, yeah. and the first question i like to ask is do you know how much a parking space costs to put in a building like if you if especially if it's you know if it's out in in an area where there's you know if you were building in the middle of a field and you could build a surface parking lot the surface lot the surface spaces are relatively cheap maybe like a couple thousand dollars per per space for drainage and asphalt it's still not free but it's relatively cheap um but once you're building a, a, a parking space that's inside the the envelope of the building the the construction cost starts to the, the costs start to go way up so uh, in you know, an average kind of thrown around figure is about twenty to thirty thousand dollars per stall in an above ground parking structure. Whether that be um, you know where you drive into the bottom floor of a building, or you know what they call tuck under parking, where you know you're 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 um, uh, taking off the back half of the building so people can drive in under the first floor and park. Um, those those are a little cheaper, but, but I mean, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to, to put in a parking, to, to construct a parking space. And then you're also, if it's above ground, you're losing space that could be housing. So yeah. it makes the, the project, um, just the math on the housing project, n not pencil out as well and, and, and leads to less housing being built because if you have to build, you know, if you're requiring, first of all, you know, you're, you're taking away spaces, you could put apartments in. And then as you build more apartments on the upper floors, usually parking requirements are a ratio. So you have to build more parking. And so you have to take up, the building has to get larger in mass and you might not have that space. So what really happens is when you require a bunch of parking, you get smaller buildings with less housing. And, and, a, and a lot of people want that, um, but. <laughs> yeah, well, they want their, some place for their car. But then, and then again, like, so then, then people say, well, why not just dig under and you can build a parking lot under the building? Uh, well, you that know? gets way more expensive. I mean, you might be talking so, $50,000 for a, a parking so stall. So in other words, two or three times what a uh, a regular parking, a, above ground parking stall costs. Right. And I mean, and, and those stalls, I mean, it, it, because you, you think about, people don't think about the ramps. You have to have room to turn around. You have to have entrances and egresses you need um, stairwells or elevators to access this so the cost really starts to just skyrocket and then for every stall you have you know you have to pay that off as part of the building whether or not someone's parking in it so an underground parking stall might be costing you know four hundred dollars a month right I mean, in 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 additional costs that just is bundled into the cost of the building that it's going to have to be recouped either in rent or somehow. And right. so, so, so one thing, you know, you could say, well, we'll make, we won't require people to pay for parking if they don't have a car and they live in this building. 
But unless you're charging $400 a month for each of those underground spaces, everyone in the building is going to be paying something for that parking. The rent in that building Whether is Whether or not they yeah. have a car. Exactly. And that's where you get into it's not exactly equitable. Right. I mean, it's we're, we're kind of making a decision for people about whether or not – and it's – I mean, the certainly criticism has come to me. You know, I'm trying to make people not drive a car. Um, but you have an agenda <laughs> I, I, and, and, and it's partly true. But I but I also at the same time, like we have a lot of parking. If you look around, I mean, there's you know, there are, there's a lot of, of parking that is on the street. There's a lot of parking that's in off street lots that like maybe isn't used in the evening or, you know, that is so, so one thing we can do is use parking more efficiently so that people who do need to drive, I definitely understand people work in far flung areas or they have kids on tight schedules. And part of moving to a more sustainable life is thinking about for those who have the, the ability to do so thinking about how can I simplify things so I don't need to do this. But a lot of people don't have that, that luxury. And right. so I, I think we should preserve the parking we have for the use by the people who need it the most. Um, and, and the way we, you know, the, probably the best way to determine who needs it the most is to make everyone who's using it, have a little skin in the game and pay something for it. Yeah. And well, I want to get to that too, but, but back to this idea that it's not affordable. Um, uh, I noticed like one of your columns, there was something about how Selwood was having a hard time now with some development projects because, uh, they were, had minimum parking requirements and also that there was some experiment that, was sort of accidentally done when Charlie Hales, our former mayor, uh-huh. um, instituted parking requirements. First there were none, then there were, and then there weren't again. And could right. you talk about both of those? Yes, yes. So in 2002, city council kind of got ahead of the game and said, we're going to remove parking requirements on uh, corridors with high-frequency transit. Um, so where before you might have required one parking space per apartment building, or usually these ratios are usually fairly arbitrary. Like there's ratios that might say, if you have a a barber salon or I mean a hair salon, you need one parking space for every two chairs or two parking spaces for every one chair, or there's parking requirements for like funeral homes, whatever. So the, the, whatever the parking requirements were at the time, I don't actually know a lot for, for housing. Uh, um, they, they eliminated them if you were building on a high frequency transit corridor and nothing really got built on those corridors for a while. We had a recession and, and just oh, it didn't, okay. you know, it yeah. didn't happen. But then 2012, 11, 13 come along and people are, you know, the economy's doing better and, and they're starting to build these apartments and they built them without the parking. And so people got upset and the neighbors around them, the neighbors, the NIMBYs, largely the neighbors, you know, and, 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 and convinced council that they made a mistake. And I would argue they made, I would agree, they made a mistake because in 2002, they should have also followed up and made a parking permit program, which we'll probably talk about. Yeah, soon. hopefully. But, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but basically, uh, you know, they, they instituted new requirements for a strange tiered system where if you built 30 units, 30 homes or less in a building, you didn't have any, any parking requirements. But if you built above between 31 and 40 homes, then you had to put in parking at a rate of, I believe, one one stall for every five units, I think. And then uh, and, and then the, the, the ratio went up between 41 and 50 homes and then above 51 and above. Even there, more parking. There, there was more parking required. And what happened um, retrospectively is you can look at 
the the buildings and this isn't completely scientific but you can go back and look at what was built in portland and what was being built prior to 2012 before these requirements went in and it was a lot of 50 plus unit buildings around 50 uh-huh. 55 units and um without parking and that made people upset um but then in the interim uh, after 2013 all of a sudden we saw quite a large number of buildings with exactly 30 units in them, um, where the builders were building just low enough to rem- to not have not to have build to build parking. parking yeah and and amplified over the city i mean this isn't thousands of of homes lost but it's certainly probably i i, I would think it's, it's reasonable to say hundreds of homes weren't built in this in this time period that we certainly could use <laughs> in this city um because of these parking requirements because it was you know they were just builders would just build to the threshold um because they don't want to build parking uh parking i mean some do and some yeah. don't i mean it really is it's up to the yeah. you know one yeah. of the one the the, the shoot philosophy is is let if, you, if you're if you're managing your parking the developers will build the amount of parking that they actually feel they need to fill the homes right and uh-huh. so 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 it's not the idea that our city council or that people have some knowledge of what the quote unquote appropriate amount of parking or adequate parking is, is, is kind of a fallacy. Like we don't, you don't really know it changes over time. And so to, to require some hard set rule right. leads to distortions. Right. And things are changing, you know, with, if we change our transportation systems, all kinds of stuff. But I want to let listeners know you're tuned to KBOO Portland. I'm speaking with Recovery Zone. I'm uh, on the Recovery Zone here with Tony Jordan, who's the founder and president of Portlanders for Parking Reform. It's a progressive group trying to get parking uh, basically where it's not such a dominant kind of thing happening here. And um, here on KBU, we're also running a Kickstarter program. Um, it's basically we're, we're trying to build a strong infrastructure for the next generation of culture workers and DJs. So um, if you can spread the word and get it out there that the Kickstarter program is a good thing because we need to raise all the money we can. I think it's um, and if we can't raise it, we have to send it back. So we have to get to our goal and you can get in there with uh, your donation or uh, kboo.fm slash Kickstarter and just make a donation. Help us out uh, and help our community out with uh, progressive um, Kebu Radio. <laughs> anyway, um, we're back to back to Kebu here again, and back to Tony. Uh, I also want, if you want to call in and call with your co- questions and comments here, talking to Tony, the number is five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. So give us a call. Um, so where were we here? You we were, were, ta- were you were asking about the experiment, and yeah. Uh, and so so then um, last year, uh, the city passed an inclusionary housing ordinance um which requires affordable housing uh, well yeah yeah uh, yeah so inclusionary is kind of a wonky word but affordable ho- it was the affordable housing ordinance which requires that if you're building a building of, of market otherwise market rate apartments you have to build some percentage that is variable but yeah a percentage of, of housing that's affordable to some some percentage some median family income uh and and as part of that uh, package because parking is so expensive. One of the 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 incentives for developers was if you build and 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 under this program you don't have to build the required parking anymore. And where the experiment is kind of interesting is there was one developer. Um, uh, it's his name is Dennis Sackoff, 
who built several of the the I think it's Urban Development Group is the company uh, built um, several of the the apartments on Division Street prior mm-hmm. to the and and continued building afterwards. But if you look at the number of units they were building, they were building like fifty units, fifty five units, and then during the parking requirements, they built many developments with just thirty units. Down to thirty. And then as soon as they could file, they're the only de- they're one of the only developers that has really actually been taking part in the affordable housing. Uh, program uh-huh. because they're one of the developers that's figured out that they can actually fill apartments with people who don't require on-street parking or, or are willing to build the apartments without the on-street parking. Uh, and so in, in, in like, other words, there's a lot of us out there that don't care if we have a garage or not or a parking space or not. Right. And there, and there are also a lot of people who have a car, but maybe don't use it very often. Uh-huh. And, and I think that that's the segment of the population that really is ripe for for change here we have in in this city we have my wallet is full of of cards for transportation options i have you know car to go reach now zip car right turo get around not to be too corporate i mean just to say there's like i have a hand there's a whole bike town there's all these ways to get around so he was able to fill his buildings with tenants who didn't need a parking space well i mean honestly probably you know you'll hear people will will stay you know when they did the study and they surveyed the people in the apartment buildings on division 70 percent of them supposedly that and i i believe it have a car Uh a lot of them but one of the things is that a lot less of those people commute by car. A lot less of them use their car on a daily basis. So the reason that they, one of the reasons that 70% of them have cars is because the on-street parking near the building is free. Right? Okay, so, I mean, so this is where we're <laughs> finally segue into permits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah. but anyway, the parking's free. Yeah, and so if you have a car and you're moving to an apartment with no parking in it, you're probably not going to get rid of it because why would you? I mean, you've, you've paid for this, you know, if you can park it on the street for free, you know, that's, that's a good deal. So, yeah. so and even if it's a couple blocks away and you're not using it that much, you don't care that much. Right. You, you might be using park it somewhere to go to the mountain or to go to right, the beach right. or to pick up, you know, giant bags of dog food, which all of those things, there are n- new options for people to use. But if you already have a car, it certainly makes sense to hold on to it until it breaks because why you've or you have a, a cost sunk into this vehicle yeah, yeah. so s- yeah okay and so then we get into like um but one way to deal with that you said with affordable housing and less parking garages is we we start also shoop this was his idea get a parking permit thing more in place um yes there's some just so so shoop started out his advocacy was about commer- was was largely around commercial districts and he was arguing that you know commercial streets should meter on-street parking, remove commercial requirements, and then use the money from on-street metering. Um, and you find there's a way to find the right price. Basically, you meter the parking so at the lowest price that makes sure that there's always one space available on the street. So that reduces uh, cruising and, and frustration. And then you use that money locally. He, he also then, you know, he talks less about residential but there is you know he does he does support permits when in 2013 he wrote in a, a op-ed to the Oregonian uh, about w- that we should not increase these minimum requirements that instead we should have a permit zone a permit program that um, uh, would only allow the neighbors that lived in the the residential zones only allow the people who lived there before the new apartments were built to get parking permits and then restrict the people who moved into apartments who moved into new apartment buildings from getting them. Um, I disagree with this approach because I think that it's it's not very 
fair. Again, not equitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that that you know certainly you know you might you know so so I I think that that um, you know parking is a is a public parking on street parking is a, is a city owned resource. It's a public resource, and we should manage that resource to the best. Uh, they cost four hundred dollars a year to maintain for each space. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 currently re- receives nothing back in revenue. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe you know people think parking tickets make money. You know, they probably don't. So so I think it's um, it's it's you know how can we if if you are concerned about people from an apartment building parking on your street, you know, mm-hmm. you should also be concerned. I think about you know your neighbor who might be parking a trailer on the street. Or your neighbor who parks right. their second car or in their driveway. Or some guy who has six cars. I know a fellow like that that lived in a neighborhood right near us. You know, yeah. I, exactly. So and, and he and the six car guy can have as many cars as he wants, but the apartment guy not no cars. Is uh, that how that works? Right. I mean, we're seeing in Northwest Portland right now. There's a controversy because Northwest Portland has started to. Um, raise the cost of their permits and they're trying to reduce the number of permits that they sell right now they sell at least two times the number of permits than there are parking spaces so it's like a hunting license you don't really get a permit you're getting a you know it's a, a permit a to park to hunt for a space. But, but yeah and 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 many people in northwest portland that i've seen i've watched like tv interviews you know man on the street kinds of things they'll say they don't move their car because if they move it like in new york they can't find a space again so you're like you know you're taking up a space and then you're afraid to even use it because there won't be a space there oh so, well, i used to live in san francisco it was totally like that yeah so, so so they're trying to so they instituted some they're trying to institute some rules in northwest portland that say if you live in a building with more than 30 homes in it uh you can't the the building the building gets access to a certain percentage of permits and then uh they can distribute those to their residents but if you live in in a in a house you can have as many as you want so i i made a little graphic and and, and looked up like jay leno has like a hundred and something cars and if jay leno moved into a house on uh northwest 21st avenue he could go to city hall or to pbot and purchase the bureau of transportation and purchase a permit for all of his cars and he has so many cars, he could take up all the parking on Northwest 21st between like Burnside and Northrop, you know, but, and that would be allowed. But if you lived in an apartment, but if he moved into an apartment building with more than 30 homes, he would maybe have access to one permit if he was lucky. And, and so I, I think that these kinds of schemes aren't fair. I think that the best thing to do would be to let people uh, purchase a permit if they need one at a market at, at a market price, the price that, that. And then we figure out the market price on those things. But we do have a caller. What's oh, great. Mary, Mary, would you like to ask your question or say what you want? Uh, yeah, I'd like to say what um, So, number one, I'm curious as to your guest, the, if he is affiliated with um, any developers or any corporations. Absolutely so, not, right, um, no. Tony? Right. Okay. Um, so... Uh, that's what I've seen that's been happening. Um, it started in San Francisco, an organization that was uh, militant about NIMBYs. So they were saying that, in, and, and it's now been labeled, we're NIMB, people are NIMBYs, and that's a bad thing. So, uh, and, and I just heard, like, through my phone that analogy or some kind of with Jay Leno. Um, yeah, Jay Leno, uh, that just doesn't make any sense because Jay Leno wouldn't be buying, and you know, he wouldn't be living in an apartment anywhere with 100 cars, okay? So um, he wouldn't have an apartment. 
So somebody like that, and that's kind of what's happened to the city. It's the city almost is like embracing the Jay Leno's to come. But as far as this no parking, um, on my street, and I have lived in my house for now going on 17 years, and as soon as I got my house, um, six months in, there was a notice because the old Arby's was going to be torn down, and they built condos. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the Neighborhood Association meeting to talk to them about this and there was going to be no parking, they insisted it was built by a bus stop and that nobody was going to use a car. They were going to take the bus. And I said, well, your condos are $350,000 apiece. The people that can afford $350,000 for a condo drive cars. They don't take the bus. And so sure enough... They all, they all, they bought the condos. They had cars, and because the neighbors made such a stink, they made con- they made parking. But the parking was so small, and everybody that bought the three hundred fifty thousand dollar condo had great big, humongous cars, and they couldn't fit them in the parking lot, in the parking garage. So they parked on the street, and I'm saying that that will happen every single time because it has to do with money. Okay, okay, Tony, would you like to make a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I admitted that I believe a lot of people who move into these buildings have a car. Have a car. Um, And if the, I mean, even if they're charging for, even if they have a parking space dedicated to them uh, in the building, um, if it costs $200 or $100 or $70 a month to rent that space in the building or to purchase it, the on-street parking is still free. So uh, the, the key in my opinion, is to really start to manage the on-street parking so that the people who need access to it have access to it and to disincentivize. Huh? You mean that's usually shoppers and tourists. uh, Well, I I mean, you know, actually... what What just happened with Mr. Boyle, what just happened with Columbia Sportswear, yeah, we have to, we have to know who gets priorities and it's wealthy people now and it's corporations and businesses, and they get they have clout with with city hall. And I'm just saying, if some of these younger people are being um, there, the the politicians and the corporations and the developers are being very solicitous towards this idea. It's because they don't want to build parking. Okay, Mary. And yeah, I, and, I, and they're being used, is what I'm saying. They're being used. Uh, I, I, I want to talk to Tony about if he's being used or not, but first I want to make a quick little announcement. And then actually I'd like to get to like the kinds of things that are going on. I read like in San Francisco with um, on-demand parking and I, a, a, a city in Argentina, I guess, where they totally... But anyway, where th- I think there, there still are solutions, but I want to hear from Tony. Uh, but first I want to just take a little break here and say that you're listening to Tony Jordan, who... Um, is the founder and president of a progressive group, Portlanders for Parking Reform. And uh, this is KBOO Portland. We're running a Kickstarter campaign right now to build a city of media makers. And basically, I got started in KBOO back in 2004 because I wanted to find a fun way to to help uh, not have 
George Bush elected again. That's how I got going into it. It didn't work, but I started getting really hooked on radio, and KBOO was a great place to get training. Uh, I made every mistake you could in the news department, but eventually I sort of got a sense of it, and I really do feel that KBOO is great for giving people a chance to learn how to produce, to engineer, to host, to write, to interview. Um, and you can create media here that really matters to you and hopefully to the community. And community support has been the reason we've been able to achieve actually 50 years here of radical content, uh, opening up to unpopular views here on KBOO Portland and stuff that's totally non-corporate, actually. And if you'd like to help with the Kickstarter program that's trying to make uh, Portland a city of media makers here at KBOO, just join our stick Kickstarter campaign Um that's it, kboo.fm slash kickstarter. We need your support. We need it now, and we really thank you to support KBOO and support your community. And so um, back to Tony, um, uh, so, so Tony got, the dupe here. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> well, I mean, so I think that, you know, when you asked about the Yimby movement earlier, and I think this is worth um, revisiting for a second, which is that one of the one of the things that, that I believe is that uh, you know, our city has uh, population pressure from people being born Definitely. here and people moving here. And we have to decide where they're going to live and how we're going to accommodate those people moving here um, because there's no yeah, plan so to prevent them. So what's the vision here? And, yeah. and, and, and one of the things that I believe and I think is a belief shared by most of my Yimby compatriots um, is that that people that, that we should be building abundant housing in all neighborhoods that are that are areas of opportunity and are served by, you know, sustainable transportation and, and are areas where, I mean, where people can, can live and work and recreate in without having to drive. That's an important part of, of how we're going to combat climate change and how we're going to grow sustainably and affordably. I think that's a big part of it is, and, is to what extent are you wedded to the car? Right. And, and so I think that when, when someone, when one of the questions I would have, or, and, and it's, you know, hard to, to think of things immediately on the spot, but is, is, you know, I, I believe we're going to build more housing in the city, in the close in areas. And I think that's good. And if, if we're going to build that housing, um, it simply just does not, uh, my question back to people would be, you know, wh where would you put all their cars? I mean, for one, the tremendous cost of building all those spaces. So even if there was a hundred, a hundred home apartment building being built, um, near your house, you could say, I want a hundred spaces in that building. And, you know, and that might still not be enough, you know, but I mean, like, you know, if, if you build a hundred spaces, that's going to tremendously increase the cost of the rent in that building. So the forget affordability, but then yeah, 20, 30 to $50,000 for each I mean, space. And you're not even gonna be, I mean, you have to dig down, it gets more expensive the deeper you go. So 50,000 is the first level, you know, like it gets, more, but then, but then I also ask people what happens in, at nine in the morning when those people go to work then, you know, you've built all their parking for them. You expect them to drive, you know, where, when do you need a hundred more cars in your neighborhood? People talk about livability. I mean, really, like it's you know, the traffic is is a primary concern of people, right? Right, right above parking, probably is like right. One of the, and so, so this is it's a holistic view of how do we build housing? How do we how do we build our city to to meet our goals? I don't think the caller or other people would agree that the city should throw out our climate action goals or that you know we are that our other our other goals that make Portland renowned for being this this forward-thinking green city, you know, that's based on aspirational goals that we've made some progress on. And progress has stalled partly because people are not ready to 
to actually commit to the to the things that might make them slightly uncomfortable or make them have to make choices. You know, what goal do you want? Is your goal to have your car and drive it every time you want? Or do you want to meet these climate action goals? Or do you want to meet these other goals? So I think that's, you know. Well, well basically, you're talking about what are our priorities, right. you know. <laughs> and, and I got to say, for me, especially like, um, uh, I visited Amsterdam a few years ago, and there weren't cars. There was like bicycles everywhere. And the sense of peaceful, quiet, and a sense of actual delight and fun watching people get around and, and uh, you know, just old ladies with funny hats on and, and you know, businessmen with their briefcases and, and kids and not feeling afraid of being run over by a car. And uh-huh. I mean, I, I you know, so I, I guess I'm a little prejudiced too on all these things. But I mean, I, I do see that there there might be another way to even visualize what what kind of a city we're living in, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, which sort of brings me to. By the way, if you want to call in, uh, uh, you're listening to us. The number here again is five zero three two three one eight one eight seven, and make your comments. But um, we are very used to having cars, and I think she does have a point. People are saying that, well, I need a car because I'm old and I can't. Um, I can't, you know, I can't walk that well, you know, or whatever. My mother's actually like that. She's 90 and she still drives, but mm-hmm. she can she can only walk if she's like leaning on a grocery cart at the grocery store, you know. Right. And and then people like you say with lots of kids and that kind of thing and somehow getting this all working where it's and and like I got to say in Amsterdam, it seemed like it did work, you know. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't here and people are worried about that. Uh, part of, I mean part of the problem with um the, with with equitable access for for elderly people or people with disabilities um, is that is that our, our our children for that matter is that our city our, our cities are built in a way that is is car centric and so so if you don't have a car you're isolated I mean yeah. that that is a problem I mean my my, my grandmother um, drove beyond when she should have driven probably you know I mean, or I mean she was fine you know, but it was you know it was there's a time when a lot of people maybe should transition to, to other modes and, and they can't because they're not living in an area that, that is conducive to that. Um, I, you know, part of there are, there are, there are, I, I think that, that part of this, the idea here is to, to allocate these, these resources, not to just have a free for all free parking, but you know, if, if someone needs a parking space in Portland right now that for disability, they can get a, parking space put in front of their house you know yeah um, and so there are programs to alleviate those the solution to you know individual cases is not a overarching in my opinion overarching policy that requires everyone to have parking because someone might need it or uh-huh. um a lot I, of us don't <laughs> yeah or i had someone i had someone ask me they said you know i'm worried about um you know why these apartments don't have parking because I have children and if my kid gets sick, I want to take them to the hospital. And I said, okay, well, I have, I have two children. Um, we haven't had a car for 10 years. My kids are um, 11 and seven. Um, and I said, you know, if, if my kid got sick enough that I needed, to, that there was an emergency, I would call 911 because for one, they're going to come and give aid at the house. But also I, you know, I don't feel like I would be a safe driver with a child <laughs> in the car that was dying, you know, or, I mean, you hear about people driving when they're, when, when, when someone is uh, about to deliver a baby and it's like, that's insane. You know, like you're driving 90 miles down the freeway with someone, you know, like we we're so concerned about the safety of, of mothers and the children, but you know, drive down the freeway, 90 miles an hour, no problem. So I said, you know, I think I'd rather have the ambulance come. And she said, well, you know, you've read about 911 
um, sometimes people get put on hold and, and, and they don't answer. And I said, that's a problem. The solution to 911 not picking up the phone is not to require parking in every building. I mean, that's, you know, but, but right. I think. But Let's this throw is, some <laughs> money. Let's use some of the parking permit money at 911. Or, or I mean, or even just, I mean, like, yeah. that's a whole different thing. We're not funding our emergency services, apparently, you know, like, but, but yeah. there's, there's, there's so much tied up in this and it becomes such an emotional topic. Right. And it's like, you know, I'm just, it's like. The real question is, do we, you know, even do we have enough parking as it is? Because in a lot of these neighborhoods, you know, it may be sometimes annoying to find parking, but it's not actually congested to the point where the city would even want to manage impossible. it. Yeah. And so, and that gets us back to this on-demand parking again. So mm-hmm. how does that actually work? Can you explain that a little? Uh, you mean like demand-based pricing? Or, yeah. Or, de- well, so, like what they're doing in San Francisco, they just, I think they've started that and they're right. pretty happy with it. So, so, so the idea behind using demand pricing or, or pricing parking, on-street parking in general, is to use economics to figure out what the, what the right price is. And, um, the you set a, a benchmark for parking ideally you know some occupancy ratio uh some amount of parking that is that ideally an unoccupancy ratio is what you want you want an open space so that someone coming to visit or going to a shop can find a space and you you adjust the price up or down so that you have your maximum occupancy, your, your optimum occupancy, that mm-hmm. you're meeting that ratio. So and that's kind of working now because the technology with parking meters is getting so advanced. Yeah, they can, they can send out new prices and adjust them up or down. And, you know, there's different cities do it differently. Some of them adjust them more regularly and at different times of the day. And like Seattle just sets them in a fairly large zone and then says, we're going to adjust this once a year. So the city has been, um, we're just finishing up a committee that is, uh, I think there's going to be an online open house any day now um, from the Bureau of Transportation that will talk about um, uh, performance-based parking management is what they call it. Like Uh how can we use, how can we better utilize our on-street parking? And then also what do you do with the revenue um, with that? Yeah, because I I would say you don't want to throw it in the city's coffers directly. You want to use it to benefit the people who it's being collected from. So um, that's... uh, So, and and, and to do it maybe in ways that promote better transportation so you don't need a car right you know, and stuff like that northwest just announced uh, people has a program in central east side and in northwest where they have the transportation wallet where you can buy for 99 dollars a um you get a hundred dollar hop card a free streetcar pass and a uh and a, and a uh, bike town membership so it's like 600 dollars worth of transportation benefit and that's completely subsidized by the higher fees on the in, in northwest and central east side so they're so then people see the benefits and they're not so opposed to it yeah and it hopefully creates a feedback loop because then if you can get someone if you can pay your neighbor to not park their car on the street based with your permit fees you know you're actually making i think progress towards the solution yeah you're making it so that people who don't want to give up their car don't have to um that's you know part of the plan here we have another caller um debbie what would you like to say or ask I would like to say that they do need to make enough parking spaces for apartments, and I'm a landlord of 30 years. I, I just have to provide two and a half parking spaces per apartment unit. So this downsizing and making them park on the street, that's not okay, number one. And I am on the other side. Number two, I agree with the people that are older and it's hard. Taxis sometimes can't make it, and then they tell you one price and it's another. I've just experienced that this month with the surgery. Three, when you talk about ambulances, if you took that child and put him in an ambulance and find out that it wasn't a crisis thing, like an actual heart attack or a car wreck, 
you will find out that that is $13,000 trip and your insurance does not cover it. A lot of people, including the elderly, could not afford that bill. So <laughs> okay. I realize you want to make car parking, but the idea is then you have to make very a lot of apartments, but you have to center people in a very dense population. So a lot of apartments in a small area, but then you really do need to make a regular bus schedule where something's picking up every 10 to 15 minutes. Agreed. Well, that takes the density too, because if you want to get rid of the cars and the parking, the real solution is you have to make it... Like you say, in Amsterdam, it's all barking or over here. But I can also tell you, when you do the high density, I want people to remember New Orleans when they had the flood, and people were counting on our government to come in with buses to get them out and did not, and how many people could were injured, died, or went through a hard time because you are giving up your control. Okay, Tony. You're giving up your life, and that can happen when you're counting on the government. We're from the government. We're here to help you is a big joke in my family. I, you I know, didn't I, understand I, I that think... as a kid, but I do now. <laughs> I am now 60-some years old, and I've had more. Now I know what my mother meant by that thing. <laughs> okay, Debbie. Debbie, I, I get it that you are uh, uh, definitely want more cars. Uh, I mean, you don't want more cars. You but want, not, it's you not want more plenty cars. of parking because there's a sense of not trusting but I think I think Tony's trying to say that maybe if we start actually making parking, what were you saying? Basically, if parking was was being, if we charge for the parking, what it's costing it, us? I do think if you charge for the parking, I I think that that is a very interesting concept. I do, but I, I can tell you from what I've seen in some of your low middle class or your poor neighborhoods, then they park on the lawns. And as a landlord, I really hate it when they break my water and sewer pipes from the house because they're parking on the lawn and they tear up your property. And then it's, oh, well, it's your problem, not mine. I ran over the bushes and the lawn and broke the pipe, but you can't charge me because I'm on Section 8. Go ahead and sue me. <laughs> I have nothing for you to sue. <laughs> have fun. Okay. So I see that a lot, too. So, you know, there's, there needs to be sufficient parking at the house. And if they need a space, they need to go to the landlord and say, could you put in some grab or something? Because I have an extra vehicle I want to put here. Would you consider this? Okay. Versus like you're saying on the street. I agree. We've got to do something about not having so many cars. Yeah. De- Debbie, Debbie, I, Debbie, I think we've had, uh, I, I, I appreciate your Let comments. Go. Yeah. Let's <laughs> get back to someone else. Yeah. I yeah. But I, I, want, I want to just give Tony a chance to answer some of this. And actually, thank you. Uh, before we even do all of that, uh, Tony, uh, I'm letting people know you're listening to Tony Jordan on KBOO Portland here. In uh, We're also doing a Kickstarter campaign. We're trying to raise enough money to build a media city so that people can like start asking questions and making comments and putting out radical ideas that um, a lot of people don't seem to agree with. And <laughs> uh, you can join the, uh, the KBOO Kickstarter program. Um, join and donate at kboo.fm slash kickstarter and we really thank you for your support of kboo um so tony how would you answer some of it? debbie sort of had a lot of different uh, there stuff was going there was on a there. lot to unpack there yeah. i think that um that one thing is just that yes most of these solutions most of most you don't have a parking problem until you have a parking problem right so so if you're in an area that's not very dense you probably don't need parking management solutions and and so and, and yes she's correct the whole idea here is to to allow our city to grow by building more dense housing that um that it that can support 
higher frequencies of transit and can uh, and, and can provide people uh, access to their destinations without needing to right. drive. So that's that's de- she, you know she's right on that part. And of the I, I detected with Debbie a sense of not trusting the government that you were sort of referring to before. I mean, I think you know relying on your car to get out of town in a crisis is a gamble in itself. I mean, we've all seen pictures of freeways, you know, or you know, you look at the fires recently in Napa where, you know, people couldn't get out of their cul-de-sac, their their car-centric development uh, because the the streets are clogged or because they're blocked by fire. I mean, just because you have a car does not mean that's necessarily the best way to get out. And I mean, we live in this, it's true. We, you know, we could be trapped in the city, but I consider, I would consider that the factors that would trap us here would be, would make escaping by car more difficult. Um, If we have a big earthquake, you're not driving out of Portland. You know, you're probably walking out or maybe if you have a fat tire bike riding out on one, you know, like it's so I, I I don't, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, we should planning for that level of crisis has Right. negative downstream effects that and know. i think mainly you're talking about we getting alternatives so we don't need cars but right. that's the uh we do have another caller though tim what would you like to say uh you know i also do not trust the government and it's it seems if the solution to the parking problem is charging money for it then of course you're going to eliminate all those people who can't afford it and that's just a typical old capitalist trick that they've been but playing on us forever. Tim, 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 and, Tim uh, parking, parking, but parking isn't free. Just because developers might be a little bit too greedy and they don't want to have the rents too high so they can't rent them as fast or make as much profit off it. And they've seen this eliminating parking as a way to cut down the price. Okay. So, Tim, and, so Tim, uh, I, Tim. I think if I agree that we need to do something about diesel and and, and uh, gasoline and climate crisis. Oh. So, so Tim, if if parking, but if if the rent's higher, I mean, people are paying for it. It's not it's not it's not free as it well, is. Moderate and poor people aren't paying for it. Are 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 they not? I mean, if you Why live in a new apartment, have a homeless problem. What's that? Yeah, well, I think part of the, of the homeless. We have so many homelesses they can't afford the rent from this. Right, and because and part of the reason I think what Tony is trying to say is they can't afford the rents because the rents also include the price of a fifty thousand dollar parking space. And I think people would be happy to get in a cheaper apartment. Or there are apparently a lot of people. That's what. Um, the UBG group was finding out, right? Right. I mean, well, part of the part of the situation is that but we're just not we're not building enough housing have. for people. Uh, we have a we have a housing shortage in this city, right? That's why we have right. one of the reasons why we have people on the street that that we're not we're not building enough housing, and the requirements reduce the supply of housing as well as make it more expensive. So, well, I, I think the, the city should provide free parking. How, how would they do that? The, see, I think. Taxes? Do you, I mean, I, I, it's, uh, the fact is that someone's paying for it. So then lower income and marginal people pay more in taxes so that uh, so that higher income people can park for free not on the street? A, not if it's a progressive tax. I mean, you know, I'm I, 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 I vote for for I'd vote for a progressive tax as well. I think this is that there's a yes. And, you know, like, yeah. yes, we need to be building public housing that's extremely subsidized. We also need to build more housing at all levels, market rate. And below, because people of all means are moving into our city and need places to live. 
Um, and that to me is more important. Housing for human beings is more important to me than, than parking for cars. Um, and so let me ask you this. You want to cut down the cost of rent and utilities, I assume. So when you build these buildings, are you retrofitting them for solar or wind or any other sort I of I don't think Tony's actually I, building I, any not, buildings. I'm not a developer, <laughs> but, I, but I mean, I think, I think you know, that would be that's that that's great. smart. I mean, there's developments in Hillsborough that are using passive yeah. house technology to have almost no um, energy costs. So that yeah, that would be okay. So t- so Tim, Tim, I want to thank you for calling in and making these comments and putting Tony on the spot again. But I have one more question that I want to ask too, um, which is basically uh, stuff about parking cash outs. Uh-huh. That was another issue that um, that that I saw on your website and yeah. I wanted to find out how that works and what that's even about. So this is a kind of wonky one, but I, but I think it's very interesting and, it, and, it, and it's a great, it's a great example of, of how our parking policy has just gone, how our policy around transportation is wrong. Um, under the federal tax code, uh, an employer can provide certain uh, tax-free fringe benefits to employees. There's a, a number of them, but one of them is transportation, uh, commuting, commuter benefits they can provide. Um, an uh, employer can provide in downtown Portland can provide up to two hundred and fifty something dollars a month for transit or parking uh-huh. um, combined. They can buy you a TriMet pass for a hundred dollars, and then they can pay another hundred and fifty dollars for daily parking, or they can buy a two hundred fifty dollar monthly parking pass for you in a downtown building. And that is a benefit that is not taxed. So the city. No, no, no agency receives tax on that income. And then it also, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a direct benefit to, to, to the parking industry largely, but to the employee. Um, but if you don't take that benefit, if you ride a bike to work, or if you, if, if you only take the bus, so you get a hundred dollars you know, you're cheaper to the employer, but they don't, they're, they're not required to pay any, any benefit to you. So people may take, you're inducing, you're giving an employer an incentive to pay for people. You're not requiring that they In pay In other words, parking. they get more money if they use a parking lot than if they take a bus. Right. Or I mean, they, they have a greater convenience. They're getting, they're getting paid to drive their car to work right. when, if they, you know, if that's the most convenient method for them they can get that totally covered. And so what this idea of parking cash out is that an employer that voluntarily provides a parking benefit should have to also provide an equivalent cash benefit to someone who does not take the parking benefit. So if, if, if you, if your employee is only, it's voluntary, if the employer is paying for parking, they get to, you know, the employees can continue to elect to get that benefit. But if someone rides or walks, they should be able to receive you Just know the cash. the cash and some sometimes this is done like on a daily basis like maybe they you know employers will set up like walk bucks where you know like maybe every day you walk you get a five dollar kickback or something but this is really a, a, a good way to incentivize people to make a choice where they don't feel like they're missing out on a benefit that they could be getting and it's it's a free um policy benefit right because it's it doesn't the city's not taxing anyone they're not requiring employers to pay for parking in the first place they're just requiring them to do an equivalent cash out so it's a um it's something i think the city should do um because it's it, it would the city has has goals about downtown mode share how many people drive by themselves and this is a way to kind of shift the balance a little bit. We have a tax code that incentivizes people to drive. Mm-hmm. And this is a way to kind of, you know, shift it back to say, you know, we should also incentivize people and and, and provide benefit to people who are not driving. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I have coworkers who would 
who who you, you work know, downtown too. yeah i work downtown and yeah. i try to get coworkers sometimes to ride a bike or take other modes and it's like okay i bought a bike and i'm like now you know it's portland you need a raincoat it might cost you 200 dollars, <laughs> you know and it's like if we could get a little bit of that money from the parking from you know, that that other employees get because for parking. bikes don't get any of that money right no right. there used to be like a 20 dollars a month thing that went away in the new ta- trump tax bill uh-huh. but that's gone now so i mean you can't and it was that was a reimbursed thing and you couldn't even get that $20 a month benefit if you got a transit pass. So if your employer gave you a transit pass, you were ineligible for the bike credit, but you could still get the parking, which is, you know, it's kind of backwards. Like, right. we're, you know, we're trying to, the city's moving, you know, trying to move in one direction and the tax code is holding us back. Well, that, and that's what I got actually about a lot of this. It's like, like another thing, um, there's a, a concept plan for 2035 uh-huh. That some of it is like about making, um, le- you know, more parking. Uh, what, what was that? I forget. But anyway, like one thing was expanding actually I five and making more lanes on it. Right. And then there was something about the parking. Where where was that? The parking garages. Yeah, well, yeah. Basically, and and like building parking garages. You want parking garages like which the, the cash back incentives, I guess, get people into their. They're, if they're not cash back, uh-huh. if it's just an incentive that gets them into a parking garage downtown, you want the parking garages to be convertible, not basically not even built, but then if they are built, to make them convertible so they can go back to... Right, and this, um, let's see if I can get this in time. Uh, yeah. I think that, uh, that you know, uh, parking garages are, as we've talked about, very expensive, and so usually private industries aren't wanting to build them. So the city, Prosper Portland, is trying has been working for years to build parking garages in Central East Side and in Old Town Chinatown, for example, to for commuter parking. Uh, my criticism is that, you know, with the advent of autonomous vehicles potentially and other technology rideshare, they won't make their money back, and so uh, I think it's a fiscal. Uh, uh, liability for them to have to be doing this and and if they are going to build it they should build, build it to be convertible but the one trick there is that convertible parking probably costs twice as much as building it uh, not convertible here we go again <laughs> so uh so it's it's you know i mean it's but i think that it's still smart i talked to an architect about this i said how much does it cost and he said honestly it costs so much that what we recommend is if a city must build a parking garage they build it to last only 15 years and they build it so that it can be easily deconstructed and recycled. And I said, is that cheaper? And he said, no, it's 10% more in cost. And I said, this just, it shows, it it shows how much little sense it makes to build the garage. If you don't have to build it, don't build it, you know, and, and, and if you have parking supply right now, manage it so that you're getting the best use you can of it and take any revenue you're getting out of that revenue from a city and use it to, to, help transition to other modes to more right. sustainable modes and and actually what i did read was what they're doing in san francisco in the city in argentina for instance when they follow these shoop shoop uh mm-hmm. ideas they don't want to go back so i think it's it's interesting to check that stuff out um your group real quick it, it's a grassroots group yes um, and there's you do advocacy education and, yes and, and, and we're uh portlanders for parking reform you can find us on like social media um, right. and com. That's uh, S-H-O-U-P-I-S-T-A-S.com. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we have a little blog and um, we're always looking for new friends. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, Tony, I, w- I want to thank you for being here with us. It's Thank it's, you. It's uh, fun. Yeah. And uh, you, you're under the gun, but I think you, you survived it. <laughs> Okay, people want your contact. Uh, so you can yeah you can find me on Twitter uh, twjpdx23 is my Twitter name, or you can email me twj 
jordan j-o-r-d-a-n at gmail.com yeah and just check out you can google portlanders for parking reform and it pops right up and it's a, it's got a lot of information on the website i was very convinced <laughs> so anyway you've been listening to tony jordan founder and president of portlanders for parking reform talking about the need for progressive parking policies that promote affordable housing alternative transportation and climate protection um, this is KBOO Portland at the Recovery Zone, a fo- show focused on healing our world. I'm Stephanie Potter. I want to thank Tammy Dean for her fine engineering and to all of you who are listening. And to those of you who are helping with the Kickstarter campaign to build a city of media meet- makers. And that's kboo.fm slash Kickstarter. Thank you for your support of KBOO. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the International Women's Day Gathering, hosted by the Portland English Language Academy, Thursday, March 8th at 5.30 p.m. at the Lloyd Center in Portland. Celebrate International Women's Day by mingling, mixing, sharing projects, and connecting with other phenomenal women. The gathering features live music, speakers, and refreshments. Again, that's the International Women's Day Gathering, Thursday, March 8th at 5.30 p.m. The Portland English Language Academy is located on the third floor of the Lloyd Center Mall, west of the food court. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO is a drop-off site for art supplies from now until March 5th. We're collecting them to support the walk entitled Water is Life for Those Yet to Come. The walk aims to address climate change, discuss renewable energy options, and also to share the learnings of Standing Rock with our youth. The walkers will stop by schools and community centers to engage the community in creating murals, expressing identity, and visions for the future. Art supplies needed for creating murals include Nova Color acrylic mural paint, rollers, trays, buckets, and more. Please bring your art supply donations to KBOO 